Chapter 18 of The Last of the Vikings by Johann Boyer. Translated by Jesse Muir. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. 18. Lars stumbled along beside Cornelis in a very gloomy frame of mind. He swayed his body as he walked in imitation of his companion, put his hands into his pockets, and wore his cap on one side. But at the same time he felt as he had done the first time he jumped off a boat to swim. He was throwing himself into something dangerous, and he seemed to see little Ellen Koya again, and heard her say, "'Take care, for my sake.' "'Where are we going?' he asked. "'Oh, I know the way,' answered Canelis. Most of the houses and huts lay in darkness, but the windows of one little white house were illuminated, and from within came the sound of singing, hymn-singing. Lars stopped involuntarily. "'Is it a prayer-meeting?' he asked. "'Ah, come on,' said Cornelis. "'It's only the Methodists. There are swarms of them here.' The fresh air was good for their heated heads. There was no tobacco smoke out here, no fumes of brandy and coffee, but only the frosty night and the sea, the sky and the moon. Now and again they stopped, only to stand still, throw back their shoulders, and draw deep breaths. But now Cornelis began to take the lead. There were houses where he knew the kitchen entrance and the stair up to the maid's room. This was something new and exciting, almost dangerous and altogether splendid in the eyes of a boy of sixteen, if only that little girl had not been standing somewhere in his mind, begging, "'Do take care, Lash, for my sake.' He followed Cornelis, and crept along in the shadow of the house wall to the kitchen door, at the telegraph manager's. Cornelis was busy with the lock, quiet and careful, for it was not his first attempt, and he generally came to terms with locks, and they both started when a window above was opened, and a man's voice shouted, "'What the deuce do you want at this time of night?' They disappeared around the corner. An hour later they were tramping homeward again. They had been unsuccessful everywhere. Even where they effected an entrance, they found the bird had flown. There must be some fun going on somewhere or other, as the girls were out. True enough, it was not long before they heard the sound of a concertina coming from one of the wharfs, and on opening the door they found the place quite full, and dancing and noise going on, with four or five hundred men to ten or twelve girls. The concertina player was sitting on a beam up under the roof, and the place smelt of fish, tar, and fish oil. The faces of the men and girls were red with drink and dancing. Cornelis sprang among them with a whoop. He was like an India rubber ball, ready to bounce into the air. Near the door stood a grey-haired, clean-shaven man in a thick overcoat with a sealskin collar and with gloves and a walking-stick. He was the postmaster an old bachelor who seldom smiled, but who was always to be seen where there were young people and noisy fun. The concertina howled out one dance after another, and it can readily be imagined that the girls had plenty of partners, and certainly did not sit out any of the dances. When one arm let go its hold of a girl, another grasped her and carried her on, even if she was ready to drop with fatigue. And all the time there were hundreds of eyes all round, greedily following the pair and awaiting their turn. 
"'If you'd like to be stuck with a knife to-night,' said Cornelis to Lars, "'you'd better hold on to a petticoat.' But at the same moment he caught hold of a petticoat himself, under the very nose of a sailor, and with a grimace at the man, to make him the more angry, whirled away with his capture into the tumult. How well Cornelis could dance and manage a woman, to be sure! "'There are the Langmo-men,' someone said. There was a disturbance down by the door, and everyone looked in that direction. Three big men in high boots, blue blouses, and fur caps came tramping in. They were all fair, but two of them had reddish beards, while the third had a yellow goat's beard and wore gold rings in his ears. Two of them were blind in one eye. All were chewing tobacco, looked gay and bold, and seemed only to be waiting for an opportunity to step forward and say, "'Here we are, so you may go to the devil.' "'There are the big statsmen,' said a Nordlander, involuntarily retreating to the wall. Cornelis had left his partner and came up to Lars. "'I daren't leave you now, boy,' he said, "'for there's going to be some fun. Have you seen them?' "'Yes.' said Lash. I've seen them at home. It's only the Ranen man they're after. It's to be hoped there is another door to this place, so that he can get away. The three men at the door were standing with their hands in their pockets, chewing and spitting. Were they going to dance, or did they want to start a quarrel at once? A bottle was going round here and there, and the concertina player went on playing. The young women were hot and excited with being passed from partner to partner and being so much in demand. Every man who got hold of one dashed off as if wild beasts were at his heels. At last he had his arm round a soft waist, a woman's breath upon his face, which at other times was lashed by wind and snow, the smell of a woman's hair in his nostrils instead of fish oil. "'Just let anyone try to take her from me. I've got a knife.' they seemed to say. "'Upon my word, if they haven't caught sight of the Ranen man,' said Cornelis, who was afraid to leave the boy. Lars looked at Henry Langmo, who had had his eye knocked out the year before. It seemed as if the red scar under his eyelid was trying to see, groping round the room in search of something with which it had a little account to settle. There it had stopped, and the sound eye flashed although its owner still stood there, smiling. The three brothers buried their hands deeper in their pockets, and watched a red-haired man, who had squeezed himself close up to the wall at the upper end of the room, where he thought he was well hidden. One of the Langmoos lighted his pipe, and Henry took a step forward, chewed his quid rapidly for a moment, and slowly advanced a few paces. The other two remained by the door to see that the Ranen man did not get away. People shrank back and gazed. There was always room for a big Stotslander when he wanted to move forward. It appeared, however, that he only wanted to dance. He had seen a girl in the crowd that he fancied, and when she and her partner swung past him he caught the man by the shoulder. "'That's my girl,' he said good-humouredly. "'What the devil do you mean?' said the other, angrily hitting out. To the wonder of all, Henry did not return the blow. It was of no consequence, for he was dancing now. People stared. A big Stotslander had received a blow, and had not returned it. 
Henry began to take up more and more space on the floor. He pushed couples aside, his boots being heavy, and he himself both big and heavy, and several men stood still in a rage and swore at him. But he wanted still more room, and cleared a circle in the middle of the room, sweeping people out of the way with his partner, careless of the fact that he knocked men over, and that they swore and shook their fists at him. "'Chuck that blackguard out!' became the general cry. The floor was beginning to look empty, and Henry was now holding the almost unconscious girl under the arms, and using her as a broom to sweep everyone out of the middle of the room. This was dancing indeed, and Henry began to enjoy himself. At last, however, a Newlander dashed forward and tripped him up. He fell forward, and the girl with him, and he was instantly surrounded. But he rose, shook himself free, and as he began to swing his great fists with the blue anchors on them, the girl escaped. The women shrieked and fled toward the door. The other brothers had kept quiet as long as possible, but were now unable to contain themselves. They spat upon their hands, and wanted to know the meaning of this interference in other people's pleasure, and the next moment they were in the thick of the fray. Cornelis was not one to let a good fight pass unheeded, but on this occasion he had the headman's son to look after. The boy was carried away by the general excitement. He clenched his fists and swore and shouted, and was on the point of dashing into the tumult, but for once Cornelis had to be fatherly, and making Lars mount on to an empty barrel, and climbing up himself, he took hold of him by his coat-collar. "'Now, just you keep quiet, you idiot!' he said. "'Oh, but look! That's splendid! That was Gerard Langmo who knocked down a boulder man. Did you see, Henry? Deuce take me if he didn't break that man's jaw!' That's how you must take a man by the throat, like Peter Langmo is doing. Ah, the fellow's nose is bleeding. This is fine. At them, you fellows. And Cornelis jumped up and down in wild excitement. If only he had been alone, he would have been in the middle of it. But now it was no longer the three against all the rest. A Newlander wanted to know what the hell those southerners wanted up in Lofoten. Wasn't it time they sent the whole crew home? This was like setting fire to a haystack. More southerners joined in, and things began to be lively. There was an account of long-standing between southerners and norlanders that had long been waiting for settlement, and now the time had come. Lars and Cornelis leaped down simultaneously and disappeared in the confusion of arms and fists and contorted faces, not to see one another again until the following day. Outside there was the same calm moonlight night, but in the houses round about people began to be wakened by the noise on the wharf. Lights appeared, and half-dressed men put their heads out of doors and windows. A woman with her hair down her back came flying along, crying, Help! Help! The southerners are being killed! This was more stack-firing. The men who heard it were southerners. They dressed hurriedly, and dragging on their boots ran out bareheaded. The next moment a terrified tailor ran past, shouting, Help! Help! The Newlanders will be killed! Newlanders heard it. Lights appeared in more huts, and there was more hurrying into clothes, and as they ran out bareheaded they came upon a group of southerners. What the deuce is the matter? 
It's those confounded Norlanders. We're Norlanders, but we're no more confounded than you. There was a rapid exchange of uncomplimentary remarks, but they could hear the noise on the wharf, and every now and then saw two figures emerge from the room with their hands at each other's throats. The one party ran to help. No, confound it! They should not escape so easily. So the other party followed them, and in another moment the fight was in full swing all over the island, and the number of combatants was increasing. Then boats began rowing across the channels to the other islands, where the windows of the huts were all dark and the inmates asleep, but shouts wakened them, and startled faces appeared at windows. What is it? Help! The Newlanders are being killed! Then another voice. Help! The Southerners are being killed! Fuel was being constantly added to the fire. It was an old feud that had lain buried in men's minds, handed down from generation to generation, and now it had broken out on all the islands. Boats were darting across the sounds, full of men, that had not had time to finish buttoning their blouses, and they made for the spot where the uproar was greatest. The Numdalmen and the Stotslanders were friends now, and of the same race, for they were Southerners. The Newlanders, with their high-pitched voices, did not begin until Helgeland. Windows were being opened in all houses, and peaceable men came running out as if they had been wakened by an earthquake. In Kristaver Miran's hut several men were dressed and wanted to go out, but one door was barred by Kristaver and the other by Peter Sussansa, for the two headmen did not want their men to get mixed up in any trouble. Only to Henry Robben Kristaver said, Will you go out and find Cornelis and Lars? And if they refuse to come, then stun them with a blow and bring them on your back. You're the man for that. Henry was of course the man for that and for more than that. He went out into the cold moonlight night and drank seven draughts of fresh air through his nose. Ah, that did his lungs such good. He then walked quietly through the little street, and saw men hopping about in the snow and fighting, and, oh dear, how he would have liked to go in among them and have a little real fisticuffing! What, indeed, was there among the things that reprobates have a liking for that he would not have liked, too? Drink, girls, thieving, fighting, everything. His big nose seemed to snuff up everything that mankind ever thinks of doing. He was akin to it of the same breed, only worse, if anything. It was only that nothing ever came of it just when there was an opportunity. He had to step aside to avoid a number of men running at full speed. They were Nordlanders, a whole army of them, in flight, and after them another army, led by a lame man, and if it wasn't Jakob, damn it all with that limp. He was whirling an empty bottle in the air, and shouting over his shoulder to his men, "'At them, boys! Catch them! The devil take those Nordlanders! Catch them! At them, boys!' And on they went past the houses into the square in which the church stood. Here the snow lay deep and white in the moonlight, and into it dashed the flying Nordlanders, and sank in up to their middles, their pursuers followed and also sank in, and the whole became a raging confusion of arms and legs and whirling snow. 
At last the two clans came together, but the leader of one of them, namely Jakob, was buried in the snow up to his armpits, and only able to wave his empty bottle and shout, "'Catch them, boys! After them, boys!' Just then a man came running, pursued by another. The pursuer was Lars, and he was quite wild and had his knife in his hand. Henry instantly caught hold of him and when the boy, in his uncontrollable lust for battle, raised his knife, he received a blow on the side of his head from a hand that was heavier than his father's, harder than any hand he had yet felt. A few minutes later Henry entered the hut with him on his back, and dropped him beside his father, merely saying, "'Here he is.' And the next thing that the boy was aware of was that his father's hands, as he threw him into the bunk, were gentler. Henry went out again to look for Cornelis. It was not impossible that he might get mixed up in the fight himself. In a little while, however, he came back with another burden on his back, Cornelis, gesticulating with his disengaged hand, and raging and swearing. He was sent head first into the room, and Grisaver threw him into his bunk. Once more Henry went out, however. The air was so fresh, and he snuffed it up and all this uproar was like wine to him. A few frightened beings had crept out, well wrapped up, along by the house walls, and stood gazing with terrified faces. They were a temperance teacher, an agent, a Jew watch-merchant, and a peddler, all of them the fishermen's birds of prey, but now hovering at a distance. At last the day began to dawn. It had been a lively night. The Ranen man had had one of his eyes knocked out and had been taken to the hospital, but when the police began to search for the Langmu men, they were already far out at sea on their sloop with its large white sail. They had omitted to leave word as to where they were going. They were in Lofoten to sell salt and buy fish, and were perhaps going into a herring fjord to take in a cargo of bait, and then returning to Lofoten to sell it to line fishermen but it was not certain that they would come back to that particular spot. "'Up with the topsail!' shouted the helmsman, Henry, the one with the fair goat-beard. It flew up, and the heavy sloop began to rise and fall upon the grey water. The brothers looked at one another and smiled. They were free. They had come on an errand to the fishing station, and that errand was accomplished, and now they were out at sea again, and were free men.' End of chapter 18